Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. Good morning. They say good morning as you're clapping when I walk up. It's like I get a clap as you walk. You know, it's kind of fun. Uh, so that stuff that the children's ministry did is incredible. I don't know if you're familiar with the term herding cats or not, but that is a ton of work. They did an awesome job. And those quarters that they talked about, the kids brought in almost $1,100 in quarters for the mobile food relief. Yeah, that is excellent. So good work, kids. And singing the song was great. That was fantastic to watch you up here. Um, I'm going to talk, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about outreach, which is a timeless truth, but not necessarily the one that was in order, but uh, it's kind of what I'm into, so that's what we're talking about. Um, There's always a fishing story when you're talking about outreach, so I'll just start out with one from the Bible and then dive into my own. Um, John 21 verse 4 says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. This is after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And he's kind of repeating what had happened early on. And he, uh, this cracks me up, by the way. Uh, Jesus is about to perform a miracle, knowing that they haven't caught any fish. And then when they say no, something's going to happen. But he still asks them, hey, do you guys have any fish? (laughs) Yeah, you got a sense of humor. And the disciples promptly reply, no, we don't have any fish. We've been out all night. We don't have any fish. Because previously in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had said, Come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. So Jesus is making this link on fishing, casting your nets out, casting your line out, and hooking something, right? Being productive in what you're doing. And traditionally, outreach is just that. The Bible says that you just do these things. It's a simple command. Go out and make disciples, right? Easy peasy. No problemo. Does anybody in here have success all the time with that? Because I'll be honest with you, uh, I was involved in a youth group when I was growing up, and that was a big push, obviously, because it's a command from God to reach out. And we had these kind of metrics that were not really said to be metrics or measurings, but this you would come to the, the service week by week, and who did you reach this week? Who did you touch? Like, well, I you know, didn't get anybody this week. And it seemed like it was week after week. Didn't get anybody. Well, you need to work harder. You're not doing it right. Just work harder. So then the next week comes along. Who did you bring this week? Well, I wasn't able to bring anybody. And you just end up kind of with this overwhelming feeling of guilt that's not real fun. I don't know any place in the Bible where we're supposed to be motivated by guilt. In fact, the whole reason Jesus came was to take away the guilt that we had assumed, right? None of this is supposed to be measured by guilt. None of this is supposed to be motivated by guilt. I have a fish story that I'd like to share with you. Right now, I, I kind of think uh, as I've been going through my life, God has been giving me sermon illustrations, <laughs> and here's one of them. Uh, a few years ago, before we moved here, my son wanted to go fishing in Oregon, wanted to catch king salmon. It's like, yeah, let's go fishing in Oregon. So we loaded up the trailer, drove all the way to the coast, chartered a boat and everything, but the day before we got on the fishing boat, I thought, hey, let's walk down to the shore and just throw something out there and see what we catch. And so we did. And I've always liked to turn over rocks and look for little purple crabs, so I was busy doing that. And you, 
I hear from a distance, uh, dad? And now I know whenever I hear that, something is not quite right. And so I look over and my middle son, Oscar, has got a seagull on the end of his line. I'm like, whoa, what? And there's a dock full of crab fishermen over here. And I immediately hear, dude's got a seagull on his line. So Oscar goes, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know, keep the tip up. Just try to reel it in and it's all over the place. So he reels in this seagull and all these people are laughing and staring. I'm thinking, man, I've got this seagull trying to get a hook out of its mouth, thinking, what's the monetary damages for hooking a seagull that I'm about to accrue here? So we get the seagull off and I say, well, try not to cast into the birds. And so I go back over doing my thing, looking for crabs and barnacles and all this stuff. And I hear, uh, dad? Yeah, and uh, I look over and Otto has a crab on the end of his fishing line, holding it up, like, what now, Dad? I say, I don't know, get a stick. So we get a stick and throw it out. And then again, three times, hey, Dad, you're not going to believe this. I look over and Oscar has reeled in half a chicken. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) Half of a chicken, no feathers, somehow had launched it over to where they were crab fishing, hooked a chicken out of somebody's crab pot, and pulled it all the way to shore. I thought, my goodness, how are you guys doing this? We're doing something wrong. Maybe let's go barbecue. <laughs> so we took, the, ne- the next day, Oscar caught a 30-pound king salmon. It was super cool. I caught a six-inch king salmon. So I have caught one. Not really a good eater. But the point of all that is we were doing something wrong. You know, We were trying to fish, just using the wrong lures, using the wrong techniques, using all this stuff that wasn't really working. And that's the way I was kind of feeling about outreach and you know, loving my neighbor and what am I doing in the world that's being effective for Christ, right? And then somebody directed me to this verse I remember when I was younger in James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Which is a heavy verse, right? I didn't like the guilt. So I have to ask myself, what's Jesus' example in outreach? He's probably the best resource to look at as far as an example. So John 5.19 says, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So this is a picture of Jesus being God, God being in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the one thing. He says, there's only one way this works. I can only do what God the father tells me to do. So then ask, well, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was doing what God was doing, but what did that look like? So go to Luke 19, verse 1. It says, when Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So just put this picture in your head. Here's somebody... Jesus has never met before, a little guy that wants to see the hubbub, wants to see what's going on. But he's short, so he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs a tree, it's like, okay, I can see Jesus from here. And at this point, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of the sinner. But the key part in this portion is Jesus said, I must stay at your house. So just picture this. Jesus is walking through this town 
And God speaks to him just a little bit, says, turn your head. Just turn your head a little bit, and he sees this guy up in a tree. And right then, Jesus said, aha, this is what God is doing. I see this now. And he says, Zacchaeus, I have to come stay with you. I've got to come eat some food with you tonight. I see where God is in this. Come down. You want to meet me? Well, I want to meet you. Let's go spend some time together. This is where Jesus became immediately obedient to God's direction. So first point, ask yourself, where do you see God successful today? Where do you see God at work? Where has God placed you for such a time as this? Where are your opportunities in the world, in the world that you live in, in our fair city, right? I have a guess it's probably in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in the school that you go to or in the activities that you do. I'm finding that the things that I love doing are full of people. It's crazy. I love riding motorcycles, and guess what? They don't ride themselves. There's people on top of them the majority of the time. <laughs> I find myself on the ground sometimes. <laughs> but there's common ground in there. There's common ground in fishing. There's common ground in book clubs. There's common ground in all these different things. To look around and see, man, God, what are you doing? What is it that you're working in right now? But we can just make friends over common ground, make a point of reaching somebody through common ground. I've tried to employ this for most of my adult life. How do I engage with people? And I really, really like the idea of finding common ground with somebody. Uh, when my wife and I were first married, we were walking through Fred Meyer, and uh, she'll probably not like that I'm telling this story, but that's fine. We contract. <laughs> She uh, saw somebody that she knew in the aisle and ran the other way. I was like, where'd my wife go? And this person said, hey, was that Tracy? Yeah, that was Tracy. And ended up having a conversation with them about college and what they're doing with their life. And Tracy said, well, I'm just not good at that. I don't really know how to talk to people when there's nothing to talk about. Well, I just find common ground. You guys have a history together. Find common ground. That's how you can engage with people right off the bat. Godly tactic that you can use to engage with people. Or invite people over for a meal and then pray for the food doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just pray for the meal. Thank God for the meal. Or, this is a big one. Meeting needs. Uh, I have discovered that people in the world, whether they're Christian or not, love to help. Give them the opportunity to help. Whether it's delivering a food basket to somebody or helping somebody paint the fence or fixing a cabinet, whatever it is. Just being around when somebody needs somebody to talk to. That's a really, really good way to engage with people. And then you get to share the truth, because there's something about the truth that is completely compelling, that's recognizable with people, and it's the truth of God's word. And there's this, this is part of the command, too. This is exactly what Jesus did, because he could have stood off at a distance, right? He could have, there's probably a way that Jesus could have come down to earth, lived a sinless life, stood off at a distance, died on the cross, and covered our sins. But that's not what he chose to do, is it? He walked around with people spent the bulk of his life learning what he was supposed to do with God, and then the last three years of his ministry immersed himself in people, immersed himself in the ones that he loved, in the opportunities that he had, in all the ways that God was directing him to his community around him, and then laid down his life. Because Jesus cho chose to engage, chose to be a part of our lives, which is what we're supposed to do. And then there's this battle that we have with fear and doubt, this is a big one. I, I look at fear and doubt as, fear is like this gut punch that you get when you want to go do something. And then there's this, ah, oh, but what if? And 
right in the punt. You don't like the feeling of it, right in the stomach. And doubt is like repellent to what God wants to do. And it's natural. It's a part of our life. And the real reason for all this is because Satan hates the gospel, hates it, doesn't want it to go out, wants no part of the world coming to know Christ. So he'll put these little thoughts out there. Well, what if, what if this sullies your sterling character? Or what if this doesn't look right to the people around you? What if you hug somebody that someone else knows is a sinner and looks at you that way? In fact, in, back to Luke 19, what is the first thing that the people said when Jesus went to have some fellowship with Zacchaeus? It says, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Can you believe that? What if that was said about us? What if we're spotted somewhere hanging out with somebody who has a bad reputation or something like that? This could get a little messy or even a little bit icky sometimes when God calls us out to places. What if kids in school befriended a bully or something like that? Somebody who's not kind, who's not nice. What if something like that were to happen? Or what if we don't agree politically what if we stand on a different platform than somebody else? Like Jesus reaching out to the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Or what if we hang out with lawbreakers, which we all are, by the way. Speed limits are not a suggestion, I've learned. <laughs> Through life. <laughs> it's more of a hard and fast rule, depending on the officer. But Jesus addressing the thief on the cross. Surely you'll be with me today in paradise. Or what if People are sick in the hospital. I got to tell you, being with people in the hospital, man, that's an open door to pray and to reach out. That's a ministry that we should really be able to grab onto as an outreach tool. And none of this, none of our political views, none of our illnesses, none of our fears, none of our doubts, none of that changes the message of the gospel. And none of that is a metric to measure up on whether or not the gospel should go out. None of it is. It doesn't change the message based on our political beliefs. And so we shouldn't limit ourselves that way. I kind of think sometimes the danger in fear and doubt is more kind of a fit and finish type of thing. Well, this doesn't really blend with what I think my life should look like. Or this doesn't really fit the way it feels good. You know, I like to sit down in a car and have the controls all in the right spot. If I get into a Volkswagen rabbit and my knees are at my ears and all that kind of stuff. It just doesn't fit quite right. But that's the way it kind of feels sometimes when, when you feel led to be a minister to somebody that maybe doesn't fit the mold that's comfortable to you. And it's hard to switch gears in that sometimes. But the thing about all this is, I had a guy say this to me one time, I'm not here to fix people according to my preferences. That's not the message of the gospel. We're just here to introduce people to our Savior and to their Savior. It's not based on the way I feel, not based on what it looks like. It's based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross for everyone, everywhere, all over the world. And it doesn't get any simpler than Genesis 3-6, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, and all of us are now in the same boat. And it just looks a little different depending on the situation that people are in. But we're all in the same boat. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
So there's this big question that we have to ask, and I think this is sort of the root of the problem, is what is this going to cost me in my environment? How much will this cost for me to share the gospel with somebody, for me just to engage a little bit, to be the tip of the spear for Christ? What's this going to look like? The best example I can think of in the Bible is when Peter is visiting with Jesus before Jesus is marched off to be crucified, and Peter says, I'll never deny you, Christ. You can count on me. I'll be there till the end. And what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, never. And then, of course, you know the story. Three people ask him, weren't you with Jesus? And three times he says, no, I was not. And at that third time, the rooster crows. And this is what has always been kind of a confusing thing for me, is Jesus, at that moment, looks back to Peter. And Peter makes eye contact with Jesus. And I think, man, why would Jesus do that? It's like, the knife is in Peter, and, and Jesus just twists it a little bit, like, ha-ha, see, I told you. But that's not what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus looked back at Peter and communicated somehow, Peter, this is why I'm here, because you're imperfect, because you've sinned, because you can't do it on your own, because there's something that I've done that there's no way for you to do. I'm going to the cross because you can't. I'm marching up the hill carrying my own cross because I'm the only one who's worthy to do it. And you're going to mess up. And we're going to mess up. And Jesus looks at us all the time. says, that's why I died. That's why I was the only one who could do it. And that's the message that we're to take out to people in our community. And this part right here is the music of the gospel. That's kind of one I want to land for a little bit. John's coming out here. He's going to help me with this next part, I believe, because I can't play the guitar. <laughs> but there's this music in the gospel. There's kind of some universal languages in the world. Uh, music is one of them, and math is another. But who wants to talk about math? <laughs> I suppose there's a few people in here like, <laughs> yes, let's talk about math for a while. <laughs> I apologize if that's offensive, but we're not talking about math. <laughs> But there's this music of the gospel. There's a music in the world that's just kind of this universal language. It's why people go to concerts. So I asked John to play a little song for you. Oh, yeah. Turn it up. Yeah, easily recognizable, right? And you get that feeling. I remember one time I actually owned a Volkswagen Rabbit. It was my first car. It cost $30. <laughs> I was driving home from work one day, and uh, it was a Friday, the sun was out, all this stuff. I was going home to, you know, what I don't even remember, just have a good day, and Sweet Home Alabama came on the radio, and I was like, yeah, turn it up. So I cranked it, and horrible sound system, probably made my ears bleed, all that stuff. But it was fun. And they're like, who's this 6'8", gangly-looking guy rocking out in a rabbit? <laughs> uh, should have been a video for that, but there wasn't. This next part you'll have to forgive me for because it's another song and you know what to do when you hear this. Okay, ready? Sweet Caroline. Yes, thank you. Everybody knows what to do when you hear that song, right? Because there's a power in music. There's something that's identifiable. Everybody understands this language of music and it's the same way with the gospel message of Christ. When you put it out there, it's recognizable. People understand that there's something different going on than just a nice story. And it's not because I tell the story well, it's not because you tell the story well, it's because there's a power behind the truth that God put into place. 
And our whole body recognizes this. In Luke chapter 24, this is again after Jesus was raised from the dead, it says, when he was, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And then get this, they asked each other, and this was before they recognized who Jesus was, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Before they knew it was Jesus, they recognized the message that was being presented to them. That there was something inside of them that said, man, there's something about this message. There's something that I can feel that's deep and true about this. And that's the way the gospel is. And you probably remember moments in your life, experiences like that that you've had with Christ, where you can look back and say, yeah, I saw Jesus there. It was undeniable. I saw God at work in something or in, in me, whether it was peace through hard times or, um, oh, let me just go to this page, peace and difficulty or moments with creation. You know, Pastor Carl spoke a couple weeks ago about how he was walking home and just, God, I want to see you. And a butterfly flew in front of his face. And he noticed the clouds moving through the sky. Stuff like that. Everybody's had those kinds of moments or the times you've been able to pray with someone. We had that kind of a moment just the other day at our Friday night film. Which, let me tell you what Friday night films are, by the way. They're super fun. Here's what we do. It's pretty technical. We go to a place and we set up a blow-up screen and we, we make popcorn and cook hot dogs. And people show up. It's really, and we, the, the dumbest movie ever, it's about a robot gone wrong called, has anybody seen Ron Gone Wrong? Any of you kids seen that? Was it life-changing? No. I'll answer that for you, it was not. <laughs> I've seen it twice now. Yeah, that's how you know we're dedicated. <laughs> but anyway, so we're out there on a Friday night in a crusty old field that we had to chop weeds down the day before and uh, show up, set up the movie, the lights go out, the mood is just right, and this guy walks in, broken. I mean, literally broken. Been pushed out in front of a car by somebody, was totally beat up and bruised. His brother, he said his brother had committed suicide in May in front of him, and uh, said, who can pray with me? I need church, who can pray with me? On a movie night. But the key to that all is, just looking to see where God's moving. What's God doing? How can we engage with people? And we had the opportunity, we all gathered around him, prayed for him. He came to church the next day, loved it, and was a part of this community of believers just because people set up a movie night. And that's the point in all this. You can have people over for a barbecue, you can shake somebody's hand in the grocery store, you can do all this stuff, but when you do it with the intention of God being with you, Emmanuel, God with us, it's a completely different ballgame. As it's one thing to be nice, <clears throat> it's another thing to be nice in the name of Jesus. And I'm tired, I got really tired of feeling guilty about not doing it right. Not being a part of being God's messenger in evangelism. And that's not what it's about. What I was forgetting is that there's some work that I can do, I can say yes. I can go set up a blow up screen or I can invite somebody over to my house. I can hold the door for somebody. But it's another thing to do it and say, God, how are you working here? Are you working here, Lord? Is this the connection that you've arranged for me? Because if it is, I need you. God, help me. I see Jesus in these types of things sometimes. We have, you know, the kids raised $1,100 for mobile food relief. 
And that is literally going out and meeting needs. Last week, we had 12 people in the Delta community, 12 families that said, we don't have anything to eat. So we were able to bring them food. There were seven in Montrose, in our city. I feel like sometimes we get caught in this elevation that we live in, which say it's six feet. We live at six feet. Well, at 5'11 and 15 sixteenths is the elevation of all these needs, just below the surface of where we live. And it's super easy to gloss over them, super easy to forget the gospel in it. But it's right there. It's all over the place. And it's something that Christ asks us to engage with. And not because we're good people, not because we have something special, not because we want to clean people up and fix them, but because God has a message for their heart that Jesus died for them, that their sins are forgiven and they can live guilt-free. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, another story here out of the Bible, Mark chapter 16, on the vein of this work being done that we couldn't do, it says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, three gals were on their way to their tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the tomb? It's an interesting question. They're not strong enough to roll the big rock out of the front of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So on one hand, this is a little thing. They're thinking, we have a problem here. We can't go visit with our friend Jesus because there's a big rock in the way. But I look at this as, man, there's some obstacles in your path that you have no power over. We have no power over these things sometimes. Spiritual battles, sickness, fear, doubt, all these kinds of things. But the work has been done, and the work is being done. Jesus rolls that stuff out of our way because he wants to work with us. He wants to work through us. And here's the interesting thing about that. God loves me more than I love myself. God loves you more than you love yourself. I've seen some pretty proud people in the world, but God loves you more than that. And the other part of that is, God loves these people that we're going to more than we do. And he's doing work that we cannot do if we partner with him and he'll work through us. There's this uh, video that I found uh, on the line. It's uh, this group, I guarantee you they had, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm highly suspicious that they had intentions of leading a worship service. Um, and forgive me, I have a soft spot for bagpipes. In my, uh, you might not know that about me, but you do now. I really like bagpipes, actually. If I could uh, play them, I would, but you wouldn't want to hear it. Um, but this group, it's called Celtica, and they play this song. So we're going to pull that video up. I'll just make a couple comments along the way here. Flaming drumsticks, first of all. I asked uh, Eric if we could do this at church. I thought it'd be a flaming bagpipes. Can you believe it? Now watch the people in the crowd here. I mean, these guys are leading a worship service. Pretty amazing. familiar tune that we've all heard a thousand times probably, right? No big deal, we're just going to play Amazing Grace. On flaming paper pipes. <laughs> if you think of the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
putting the message out there, right? You can wind that down now. Granted, that's a famous song, and everybody's heard it, everybody knows. But what's interesting to me is these guys are on stage, had no intention of leading a worship service. There's another band called U2 that has a song called 40. They end a lot of their, their concerts in that, and it's literally just reciting Psalms 40. They sing it. And the end of every concert comes up, and you'll see people in the crowd with their hands up shouting, how long to sing this song? How long are we going to sing this before you come back, Lord? They have no idea, but there's truth in the message that's being put out there. There's something about the message that we can't do. And God is just asking us to put it out there, to go around doing good, meet with your neighbors, shake their hand, find a way to connect, find common ground. I'm gonna go back to the beginning of this message. In John chapter 24 or 21, it says that story about Jesus standing on the shore after his resurrection. And again, he asked them, have you found any fish? And they said, no, we haven't found any fish. And then Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, how wide was this fishing boat? Probably less than 12 feet wide. So it's not like they cast their net into a secret honey hole of fish. The difference in all this, Peter exclaims, it says, after they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Immediately they recognized there's something different going on here. It's not that I suddenly became a better fisherman. It's that Jesus worked this out for me. And you continue on in the story, they had so many fish in the net, they couldn't even get it into the boat. And that's what we're after. That's what outreach is all about. I mean, it's each one winning one. I'm still working on my one person from a couple years ago when Carl said that, but I'm working. We're gonna get it. But each one of us reaching out to somebody to bring them in. And remember this, we can fish, we can talk, we can eat with people, we can hold open doors, we can deliver food, but it's Jesus that makes the difference. And Jesus is the answer in all of this stuff. And we can communicate till our heads fall off. But if we're not going out there with Christ, it doesn't make a difference. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.